This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. T.C. Boyle is a critically acclaimed, award-winning, best-selling, and prolific writer of novels and short stories. He has written and published so many books since his first short story collection was published in 1979 that it's actually kind of hard to count them all. His most recent novel, Talk to Me, comes out in paperback in June. He completed his MFA at the Iowa Writers' Workshop in 1974, and then for good measure, he also earned a Ph.D. in 19th century British literature from the University of Iowa. He was a distinguished professor at the University of Southern California for decades, all the while churning out scorching, fascinating deeply researched novels and short stories. And he is on the line with me now. T.C. Boyle, welcome to Talk of Iowa. Well, thank you, Charity. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And you told me not to ask you any questions that were math-related, but I, I do want to start with that. I I kept coming up with a different number of books that you had published in your I've, career. I've, my 30th book is a collective story called I Walk Between the Raindrops, and it's coming out in September I've just completed the next novel, Blue Skies, which will be out next year. All right. So if we want to do future math, that'll be 31, which is, is pretty <laughs> incredible. Uh, since you're coming back to Iowa City and people are so excited that you're coming back to Iowa City, I do want to start with your time at the Writers' Workshop. You had uh, graduated from college. You were sort of casting about the world and the Writers' Workshop called you somehow. Tell me how you found yourself here. It's a simple story, and it's just one of the heart-tugging stories we could have had in 19th century literature. So I'm a working-class boy. I went to uh, SUNY Potsdam, um, New York, where I grew up. Uh, Potsdam is the music school. I wanted to be a musician. Unfortunately, I flunked my audition, but uh, there I was at an undergrad school, so I declared a history major because I'd always liked history. Second year, we read some American short stories in class, and I think declared a double major, history and English, and junior year I blundered into a creative writing classroom and I knew what I wanted to do in life. Um, four years later, um, I got a story published and it was great. I thought, wow, this is a wonderful thing. I guess maybe I'm, I am actually a writer. So I applied to the only program I had ever heard of, Iowa, where so many of my heroes had taught or been students. Um, and um, by the grace of the fates, I was accepted. I got my girlfriend, now my wife, and my dog, and two cats, got in the car and drove from New York to Iowa City, and it completely revivified my life. I'm sure that there are so many things that, that you learned about yourself and about writing and about other people during that time. It's, it's hard to come up with a, a way to encapsulate all of it. But can you tell me just about an experience that you remember that that just you really feel like it changed the trajectory of your future? It's a question of mentors. I had great, great mentors at Iowa, beginning with Vance Borgeli in my first year, and then John Cheever and, uh, and John Irving. Uh, in the English department, I had Fred McDowell, who was the uh, the chair of my um, PhD committee, uh, Miriam Gilbert, who is still around town, was just a tremendous uh, influence on me in, in my fr uh, first year. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I had a foot in both camps, uh, being a scholar in the PhD and also being an artist in uh, the Writers' Workshop. So 
here's how I played it. The writer's workshop people would say to me, hey, let's go do X, Y, and Z because we're all writers. And I would say, no, no, I can't do that. I'm a PhD guy. And then vice versa, the PhD people would say, let's go do this because we're all PhD people. And I'd say, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm a writer. Meanwhile, I hung out with some of the people in the local bar bands. Uh, by the way, I've just written a story which is in Narrative magazine right now called Big Mary about that scene in Iowa City of a bar band all those years ago. Uh, what I needed is someone you know, to wrap an arm around my shoulder and say, okay, kid, you're on the right path. And that's essentially what I got from Vance. Vance was amazing. He, uh, you know, in class, it would take him three minutes of absolute silence in the class because he was rolling his, his, his next cigarette. Uh, Vance didn't, none, none of them, uh, uh, Cheever, John Irving, none of them really um, did anything more than just read the work and say, you're on the right track, kid. That's all I really needed. You know, people think you go to a writing program and somebody's going to remake your life and, and rewrite your stories. And no, it doesn't work that way. You have a gift, and a program like Iowa allows you to express that gift. And uh, I, everybody, but I in particular, needed mentors to push me in the right direction. Say, yes, 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 this is good. Keep doing this. And so I did. And then I became the same mentor for my students at the University of Southern California. You talk about, of course, going in three different directions while you were in Iowa, spending your time at the bars, being in the writer's workshop, being in the Ph.D. program. It seems like you continued going in at least three directions after you left Iowa. Your teaching career, which uh, is a distinguished teaching career, writing novels, writing short stories, and then, of course, you know, the, the rest of life as well. Did you ever feel pressured to to pick something? No. Uh, I've been purely an artist all my life. I've done exactly what I want. I've never written anything to conform to anybody's expectations. I just do what I'm going to do. I did get a little bit revenge of revenge on the flunking of my audition at music school, though, in this way. When I came to L.A. and started teaching at USC, I became very close friends with a band that was kind of big in its day, uh, signed a big contract at Warner Brothers and so on, and their singer uh, and songwriter was a close friend, and when he quit the band, the band asked me to step in and, and, and be the front man for a bit. I mean, nothing fancy. I was already a writer. They knew that. It was just for fun. And so I did. And we got to, uh, I got to do a, a record a couple of songs with them and screech my lungs out. Uh, you can hear me on my webpage, in fact, somewhere on the internet of my doing. Uh, I put my spell on you, which I guarantee will raise the hackles on the back of your neck. <laughs> Maybe we'll play a little bit of that. So, do you sleep? Um, I sleep beautifully. So some years ago, my doctor uh, gave me the physical exam. And, you know, at the end of the physical exam, he taps your knee and then he asks you some questions. And he said, uh, how do you sleep? I said, I sleep beautifully, Jerry, because I have a clean conscience. Without missing a beat, he said, either that or you have no scruples. <laughs> <laughs> so sleep is very important. And I sleep beautifully. I go to sleep 
at 11.30, and I wake up at 6, and that's it. Every day, every night, that's what I need. You have been so prolific, and I know you've talked at length in interviews over the years about really your process and, and your work day, but it still baffles my mind that, that you have been able to produce so much over the years. So tell me a little bit about it. How do you make this happen? It's a kind of miracle uh, to be an artist and have uh, the ability to make art. And so, from my point of view, I want to make the most of that. I want to see what comes next. It's always fascinating to me. Any given story or novel that I've written, I have no idea what it's going to be or whether it will turn out or anything else. When it does turn out, there's this incredible exhilaration you feel. And I wrote a book about this, which also reflects, uh, I'm sorry, I wrote an essay about this for Frank Conroy's book about the writer's workshop. And uh, it's called This Monkey, My Back, in which I liken the experience of creating um, a story or a novel to a, a drug high. So with a drug high, you shoot it in your vein and you have this tremendous rush of exhilaration and you conquer the world and you fly eight miles high. Problem is, <laughs> it wears off. And what do you got? Well, you got to start all over again. It's a kind of addiction. So, and to further that, when you when that high wears off, it, you've created something. You have this this creation that has come out of that process. Yes, yes. And so, to go back to your original question, why have I been productive? Because it's my life. It's what I do every day. I don't feel right unless I'm working on something. It's a way of. All art is a way of transforming and controlling the world. The world is a, a, a perilous and mysterious place in which there is no purpose to our being, and yet we have these brains that want answers and want comfort. To make a story, I am the god of that story, and I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm following it, and I am in control of it ultimately. And it's a way of reflecting on life um, at a kind of a small remove. So um, for those who are artists, they know exactly what I'm talking about, whether they're musicians or, or painters or writers. It's a, it's a kind of small miracle to be inspired by something and then to produce an artifact. I am talking with T.C. Boyle, author of... 30 books. His 30th will come out this fall. Novels and short stories. He also taught at the University of Southern California for decades and, as we're discovering, is deeply a Renaissance man. Let's listen to a little bit of his vocal skills singing I Put a Spell on You with the Ventilators. I put a spell on you My conversation with T.C. Boyle continues in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Charity Nebbe. I am talking with T.C. Boyle, critically acclaimed, award-winning, bestseller, and prolific author of novels and short stories. His 30th book comes out this fall. He is also a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop and earned a Ph.D. at the University of Iowa. And T.C. Boyle, before the break, we were talking about how incredibly productive you are as a writer and, of course, you are working through so many ideas all the time between novels and short stories. Where do you get your inspiration? Where do all those ideas come from? Unlike I'm, I'm most of my contemporaries, I remain dedicated to the short story. So I equally work in the short story and the novel. Uh, and uh, with the stories, I can write about what's happening in society right now, whereas with a novel, you're locked in for a given period of time. Um, I also have expanded from when I first got to the workshop. I was totally obsessed with the uh, surreal and the uh, blackly comic kinds of stories that I still do write. But um, I also expanded. Uh, Ray Carver was around then, and he became a friend, and I really liked what he was doing in, in a realistic mode. And I felt that uh, I could write in a realistic mode, too. I mean, why limit myself? So um, I can write a story about anything, anywhere, anytime. It's just an act of the imagination. Uh, and I have no limits. And I think that's why I've been able to write so variously about so many different cultures and people and characters and uh, and even animals. And the, the, the novel you mentioned that came out last year, Talk to Me. This is about the language experiments in teaching apes, chimps in this case, our language. Uh, and you've seen and read about this, the uh, American Sign Language. And uh, how can they acquire language and how does this work? Well, I first wrote about this when I was a student at Iowa. I discovered that these experiments were going on in the 1970s. And I wrote a short story called Descent of Man, which became the title story of my first book. And in it, there is a, uh, an interspecies uh, love affair of, of three, three creatures. Um, a young woman who works as a researcher, her schlump of a boyfriend whom she lives with, and this brilliant chimpanzee named Conrad. And I played it um, you know, in a disgusting and surreal and crazy way. So in Talk to Me, it's a far more uh, realistic approach to what it might be like because the question of language is all important. We've always been told that we have the right to dominate the other species because we are their superior, uh, and uh, the marker of that is language. But other animals have language, too. Their language is just different from ours. So I wanted to explore that at length. And the most fun I had with Talk to Me is that alternate chapters are from the point of view of Sam, the chimp. And that was great to try to invest his point of view and imagine how he might feel about uh, you know, the studies they put him through and uh, the love that he has for Amy, the researcher. Um, it... it it fits in with everything I've been writing about my whole life, which has to do with um, our position on this planet as animals, and maybe something more than animals, too. Uh, where do we come from? Where are we going? What does it mean? Uh, I just keep revolving these questions over and over, as, as, as every human being does.
So it sounds like writing in a character, like <laughs> getting into the mind of a chimpanzee, but getting into the mind of any of your characters. So that sounds like a deep act of empathy. Would you describe it that way? Yes, absolutely. The One of the novels I'm most proud of is San Miguel. So I live here in Santa Barbara, and I can look out the window right now and see the Channel Islands. And I wrote an ecological book, When the Killing's Done, about Santa Cruz Island, the biggest one, and the removal of the invasive species there and the controversy. But while doing that, I came across um, a memoir and a fragmentary narrative of two women who had lived on the farthest out island, San Miguel, um, with their families and no one else, just them, in two different periods, two different women, they didn't know each other and so on. And uh, I began writing that book thinking I would have the male point of view. And I realized about a third of the way through, I almost gave up, that I didn't need that. So I I constrained myself and worked against my strengths and wrote a book that is straightforward realism from this female point of view. And I'm really glad that I did because I think it succeeded. I recently finished reading a, a novel that I'm sure many of our listeners read years ago, The Tortilla Curtain. And thinking about the act of empathy that it takes to get inside the brains of your characters. In that book in particular, um, there's not a lot to love about a lot of the characters in that book. And yeah. and things go from bad to worse to even worse than you could imagine. So as you are really committing this act of empathy and putting yourself inside these characters, you also control their universe. You are also obviously critical of of them you're showing us their humanity you're showing us their lack of humanity tell me more about what that is like as you create this world and then in many ways bring it crashing down well i don't want to disillusion you uh however everybody in the world isn't quite as right thinking and beautiful as you and I are, <laughs> there are some uh, there are some evil people out there, and uh, there are some people whose motivations are hard to fathom. As far as Tortilla Curtain is concerned, this came out in '95. This is by far my most read book, and so happy. I mean, it's read in many universities. In fact, Iowa did it, uh, and I came and came for that. I don't know a decade ago or more. Uh, a lot of universities read it as their book of the year, and so on and so on, and and, and in European countries too. Um, great. I'm so delighted. I wrote this out of perplexity. So I grew up in New York in a radical left-wing community, and my politics are left-leaning Democrat and have been all my life. Uh, and one of the foundations of that is uh, there is no racism. There is everyone is equal. Um, my parents impressed this on me, too. Then I moved to, to California. And by the way, it's so great um, the way life works. I was a finalist for jobs at three universities, one in Minnesota, one in Utah, one in L.A. I wound up in L.A. Uh, and so the tortilla curtain. Um, uh, I was shocked and surprised by the native Californians and their complete indifference 
who the people lined up on the street looking for work. Who are they? They may as well have been from another universe. And so I just wanted to explore that. And the book it turns out being from four points of view. One uh, Anglo couple living in, behind walls in a uh, gated community, and the other two uh, illegal immigrants who are living because they have no other means in Topanga Canyon using the creek as their water source. And I play between all four points of view back and forth. And I guess that allows me to invest each character with my own self and my own feelings, but also empathy. One of the great things about that book for me is often people have come up to me and said, you know, uh, I never will look at those people lined up on the street in the same way again, because once you know one of them, then you can't just paint everybody with the same brush. Uh, and now you know two of them from this book. You know them intimately. You are, for so many people who are reading, they see parts of themselves in the deep hypocrisy of this couple living in the gated community as well. And uh, I'm sure that that's part of the process, too. It's not just learning to empathize and, and see others, but also to change our view of ourselves and the decisions we're making. And of me, of me, too. I write these books to, as a corrective for my own self. And um, uh, the book is built on multiple ironies. So that, for instance, Delaney Mossbacher, the uh, Anglo guy, you know, he loves nature. And he has an expensive tent, and he sometimes will go and camp uh, by himself in Topanga Canyon and look at the stars and so on. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. Meanwhile, though, Candido and his wife, America, they are uh, forced to camp out for their entire lives. Um, there's nothing wrong with what Delaney does. And the question is, why? Why do we have what we have and other people don't have anything? You, in so many of your stories and your novels, I, I feel like you express a deep disappointment in humanity. And you don't necessarily throw us much of a bone as far as hope goes. So I'm curious, no. tell, me no, about, no. tell me about hope in your life outside of literature. Do you wow. feel hopeful? What a great question. So I am mainly an environmental writer. Blue Skies is um, you know, projecting from now 10 years into the future about global warming and uh, mass extinction and so on, just as A Friend of the Earth in 2000 projected to 2026. And uh, it is bleak. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it is a Darwinian universe, and uh, we have chewed up the resources. We are seeing the, uh, the destruction wrought by global warming when I wrote Front of the Earth in 2000, uh, I projected it to 2026, but by 2015 or so, we were already there. And, you know, the tornado went through Kansas. We we were on fire here all the time. This is the worst drought here in 1,200 years. So things are beyond the tipping point. We're on the way down, and I don't have a lot of good news for anybody. Um, Hope and good news for me is through my art. The fact that I can make art, that is what keeps me alive. Um, I wish I had better news, but my, I don't see my job as delivering news, really. My job is to try to figure out something about the world that 
it concerns me or disturbs me. Um, in my own life, everything is great. I mean, I'm, you know, I still am um, married to my first wife. A quick joke: uh, I come into the bar and the guys are lined up, lined, you know, complaining about their first wife and their second wife and their third wife and so on. And I'll, I'll butt in and say, "Well, you know, my first wife was such a pain in the ass. I'm still married to her, <laughs> so that's good. See, that is all good." Uh, I have children. Uh, I now have some grandchildren. Uh, my daughter lives next door. Uh, I live in a, a, a beautiful place and with a big yard that is uh, I've turned into a kind of um, oasis for nature so that the creatures come. Uh, we have owls in the backyard. Uh, it's, it's, it's all good. But I can't help looking at the larger picture. So many people who right along the same, are inspired by some of the same issues as your books are. Do try to give people, again, that shred of hope, but also maybe the inspiration to to make personal change themselves. And you, you paint a dark, dark picture. I don't think that art and politics mix. Mm. If you want to make a political point, uh, write an essay, give a speech. Art cannot force anything on anybody. I don't write in order to change anybody's opinion about anything. I'm writing for my own purposes to figure things out for myself. Now, obviously, uh, because I'm tackling all of these monumental issues, you can interpret the books as you think. I think you know where I stand, <laughs> and I think you know who I am, but I'm certainly not going to try to impose anything on you. So much of what you've written, as you said, projected into the future, and then these things have already come tr- true. I, I read a short story that you wrote uh, called The 13th Day about life on yes. a cruise ship in quarantine, yes. which <laughs> doesn't really read it like a work of fiction at all. <laughs> That's so interesting, Jerry, you should mention that. It just came out now in Esquire. I wrote it in March of 2020, before there was a pandemic, when we were just starting to feel the tendrils of what was going on. And don't forget, I had written after the plague about something like this in a much more comedic way and horrifying way back in 2000. Um, I just couldn't help it. Uh, The cruise ships were out there. They had this new disease, COVID, and I just had to write a story about it. Uh, My agent held it back for a year and a half because... This is a, a, a rather comedic uh, view of things, and people were dying, yeah. still are dying. And so we had to hold it back for a bit, and I'm glad that it's out now. Um, uh, I had no idea the extent of how this virus would change the world. But you had a pretty good idea of what it must have been like to be on a cruise ship at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I guess... <laughs> I will anticipate the next question. No, I have never been on a cruise ship, and no, I never will go on a cruise ship uh, for many reasons. One of, aside from infection and uh, the norovirus that everybody gets on the ship, and so on, um, I don't want to be with other people crammed in some place. I don't want to be gambling and eating fat meals out on the high seas. I want to be by myself, deep in the woods. That's what I want to do, and that's what I do most often. Author T.C. Boyle. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.